Stop the presses. Pull out the front page. Stand by for a replay. Yeah, it's those two guys from Milwaukee. Oh, those two guys from Milwaukee. Here we go again. It's those two guys from Milwaukee. Welcome to Unknown Orbits, the podcast in which two writers discuss everything science fiction from Gernsbach to Roddenberry. The perfect gift for anyone, and it's only $9.95. Welcome to a special Christmas episode of Unknown Orbits. Christmas on Ganymede by Isaac Asimov. I'm Patrick Baird. And I'm Steve Reitze. We're doing a special Christmas episode like we did a special Halloween episode this year. This may be an annual tradition with us. So we picked a uh, appropriately themed Christmas story, perfect for the season. My quick take on it is it's a humorous little story set out in outer space, but like a lot of stories of the time, it could easily have been transposed to an earthly situation and told pretty much the same story. I enjoyed it. It was okay. I thought it was a pretty generic story. It made the time go by. Yeah, yeah. And that suited our purpose. It was appropriate for our Christmas episode here. So Christmas on Ganymede tells the story of a bunch of Earth workers on Jupiter's moon Ganymede who run into trouble when one of them tells the natives who are working for them there on Ganymede about Santa Claus. And the aliens get all excited about the possibility of being visited by Saint Nick. They become so excited about it that they threaten to stop work if he doesn't show up. So the worker who told the aliens about Santa Claus, his boss gets all over him and says, well, you made this big mistake. Now you got to fix it. So what they do is they decide to create the illusion of a visit from Saint Nick. And of course, it's very science fiction-y. It's very, because it's the 1940s, it's very gadgety and, and that sort of thing. So they build a flying sleigh out of spare parts with rocket motors. They use local animals to stand in for reindeer. And then the crew member who created the whole problem is press-ganged into having to play the role of Santa Claus. So when Christmas comes, he jumps into the sleigh, fires up the rockets, and they fly across the sky and pretty much crash land right in front of the alien encampment. And the aliens are thrilled that they're getting a visit for Santa Claus, and he gives out little gifts, which I think were like Christmas ornaments or something like that. I don't recall specifically. Which is something that we'll go into a later comment. Right. So the the aliens are thrilled. They're thrilled with their little presents. They're thrilled with Santa Claus. And then there's the additional complication at the end that they say, we want to have Santa Claus every year from now on. But the problem is that the Ganymede year is only two weeks. So and, they have to do it all over again in two weeks. And then someone comes up with a trumpet and goes, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, so it's that kind of a story. But it was a charming little story. It was enjoyable. And it gave an, a nice science fiction flair to a traditional type of Christmas tale. Yeah, and there aren't that many. Or are there? I can't remember now. Well, we're... we got this out of an anthology of a bunch of Christmas stories. So, you know, there are certainly, I remember we kind of went over which one we wanted to pick. This one seemed a nice middle ground story that was very traditional in its trying to fake. I mean, how many stories or TV shows have you ever seen where mom and dad have to fake up Santa Claus to their disbelieving child? 
And that's a good way to put it, because that's exactly what this story is. It's a story of the parental units and their simple-minded children believing in Santa Claus, and they have to fake up Santa Claus in order to fulfill the wishes of their children. That's very close to the way I characterized it, which this is an argument I've made time and time again about World War II's influence, cultural aspects of being in the military during World War II coming into science fiction. So to me, this was natives on an island in the Pacific discovering Christmas and the sailors deciding to put one on for them. Yes. And just to give you some background, this was published in Startling Stories in January 1942. So that would have been a month after Pearl Harbor. The story was actually submitted to Astounding, but rejected by Campbell. So yeah, it's very much sort of almost a service comedy type story with the additional, like I mentioned, the story of the parents trying to fool their kid about Santa Claus. That's one aspect of this story that hasn't aged too well is the aliens on Ganymede are portrayed the same way that a lot of racist stories of the era portrayed natives in other stories. Very, very childlike, very simple-minded, not too smart, not too intelligent. Really liking the shiny, shiny things. Yeah, liking the shiny objects. So it totally takes that trope and incorporates it. That part of the story leaves sort of a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. But if you try to think of it in terms of parents trying to fool their kids, it's a little more palatable. And that's pretty much all there is to the story. We uh, present it here as a very early example of a Christmas science fiction story. And it also gives us an introduction into our own Christmas stories. Right. Looking back on our Christmases as, as little kids, I don't remember when I stopped believing in Santa Claus. I do remember getting a bike one year for Christmas and thinking that Santa Claus was the one that brought it. So that was probably somewhere around 9 or 10 maybe. I wish it might be a little late to be believing in Santa Claus. I have no memory myself, but my parents completely gaslit one of my sisters. We had this tradition where on the eve we would go to my grandmother's for a meal mm -hmm. and we'd come back and the presents would be out. What my parents would do is one of them would say, oh, I forgot my pipe or something, run into the house, just toss everything under the tree real quick. One year coming back, the parents open the door, go in and my sister's up front and they say, oh, Santa's here, quick, look, look, look. And she's convinced or was convinced for years after that, that she saw Santa just disappearing. I got a similar story. Um, we used to go to my grandparents for Christmas Eve, and then we would stay overnight, and we'd wake up Christmas morning, and there'd be presents under the tree. Same sort of thing. And we were there one year, and I was a teenager at the time, but I still had a couple of cousins who were very young, who still believed in Santa Claus. And we're all sitting there, and there's a knock at the door, and my grandpa goes to open the door, and who's standing at the door but Santa Claus? And he's like, I heard there's a couple of young girls here today that uh, are waiting for Santa Claus. I just wanted to let you know that I want you to get to bed early so that, you, you know, and he's doing the whole Santa Claus routine. And then these two little girls are just standing there with stars in their eyes, just mouths wide open going, oh, my God, it's Santa Claus. And Santa Claus goes, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, and he leaves. And the little girls run throughout the house. They're all excited that they just met Santa Claus. And I'm standing there, and my grandfather turns to his wife, my grandma, and he goes, 
I have no idea who the hell that was. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out what found out was that one of his neighbors was having a Christmas party down the street. And one of their friends dressed up like Santa Claus for the party. And they were all like, hey, why don't you go down to uh, Harry's house? He's got his family over there for Christmas. So he's just as on a lark, this guy went down there to knock on Harry's door with my grandpa. So there was this brief moment where everybody's standing there looking at each other like, wait a minute, <laughs> who was that? And was that really Santa Claus? It was just this weird moment of almost disbelief. That was a good Christmas. That wasn't the one where I got a bike. I was a teenager at that point. I'm sure I got something far less interesting. But speaking of interesting Christmas gifts, I thought we would talk about some of the science fiction toys that we had as kids that we got for Christmas. Now, I've got a pretty good list. Mine is shorter for a reason I will explain in a bit. Right. We had a slightly different Christmas experience. I mean, for me... uh, Christmas began in like September when you would get the Sears Roebuck wish book in the mail. It was a catalog. Oh, absolutely. And Montgomery Ward. Yeah. Ours was Sears, other families, the Montgomery Ward catalog. Same thing. It was a Christmas catalog, and my parents would let me circle all the items in the catalog that I wanted for Christmas. That was how I did my Christmas list, was circling the items in the catalog. And I did pretty good over the years. The first thing that I remember is... It was a series of bendable action figures called the Major Matt Mason series. They were a collection of astronauts, Matt Mason and a couple of his cohorts, other astronauts. It was your pretty typical, it was a brunette, a blonde, a redhead, and then a black guy. Was this based on a TV series or movie or anything? No, no. What it was, it was Mattel. These were made by Mattel. And Mattel was trying to compete with Hasbro, who had G.I. Joe. Meet Major Matt Mason, Mattel's man in space and the bravest astronaut yet. He lives on the moon. We may all be there soon. And he gets around with a jet. Until Sergeant Storm in his red uniform, Major Matt worked all alone. Now, together, they face the dangers of space and seek to learn the unknown. The machines that they drive seem almost alive as they transport the adventurous pair. The new AstroTrack whips through the black, and Fireboat even goes where they meet Captain Laser, his space gear ablaze with energy stored from the stars. He's a giant, it's true, but a friendly one who spent his boyhood on Mars. An exciting place, the world of space, as all the astronauts know. This world is swell. It's made by Mattel. With it, how far can you go? So this was the attempt by Mattel to corner the boys' doll market, which is a fascinating story in and of itself. Maybe another day. I don't know how science fiction-y that is. So they, they were just bendable action figures. They came with a space helmet that came on and off. You had all kinds of accessories like ray guns and moon buggies. And there was a space station, like a three-story space station that one of my friends had. So I would go over to his house, and he had his Major Matt Mason figurines, and I had mine, and we'd play on the space station. I remember I had an alien named Callisto, who was from Jupiter, apparently. He was pretty cool looking. So that was one Christmas, was the Major Matt Mason. Do you think it bothers people when we say science fiction-y? I don't know. I mean, well, I don't know what else you would call it. I mean, it's adventures in space with aliens. It was not a completely educational toy. 
No, I mean just the word. Instead of science fiction, science fiction-y. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then the other one that I had, uh, and I think it was a little earlier than Matt Mason, was something called Horrible Hamilton, which was like a bug monster with pincher jaws. You'd pull a string and it would scuttle across the floor and the jaws would snap shut. It was really cool looking and it was a lot of fun to play with. So I had lots of plastic dinosaurs and I had army men, little plastic army men, tons and tons and tons of army men. When I was a kid, one side of my garage, when they'd done the construction, they left the sand up against the foundation. So I had a sandbox that was 10 feet long. Oh. And we used to stage like the invasion of Normandy on, <laughs> on this pile of sand. We'd build bunkers and everything and put our one set of army men as the, the Nazis defending the beach and then the other ones, the Americans coming ashore. And I, I had a lot of fun playing with army men when I was a kid. So I would play Horrible Hamilton, would attack my army men and I'd have to try to kill them. And the little story I have related to Horrible Hamilton was I was playing with it one day and my dad had a bunch of friends over. My dad was a teacher, so it was probably a, a bunch of other teachers and they were all sitting around. And one of the teachers, I'm guessing he must have been the science teacher or something, goes, gee, I wonder how that thing works. Uh -oh. And to my absolute horror, he takes the horrible Hamilton from me and takes it apart in front of me, disassembles it oh. to try to figure out how it worked. I'm guessing. And I'm sitting there looking at him with complete horror going, oh my God, what if he can't put it back together again? That was my first thought. Yeah, which he did, thank God, but that was a moment of pure horror. I was completely at the mercy of a bunch of adults, and I think there was probably some drinking involved, I'm guessing. <laughs> you know, they all had a few cocktails. So that's my horrible Hamilton story. The other one I had, I had the Lost in Space robot. It was about a 14, 15-inch tall movable robot. He could move the arms, and then there was batteries that, you know, the tracks would move, and he would go across the floor. So that, again, was like Horrible Hamilton. It was like I had a lot of battles with my army men, with, or he would battle Horrible Hamilton or vice versa, whatever. So that was pretty cool. One of the weird things was is you could open up the back of it to get access to the batteries, and you could put army men inside of the Lost in Space robot. And there just happened to be an episode of Lost yes. in Space where... The robot was made giant size, and Will Robinson and Dr. Smith were crawling around inside the robot. So when that came out, I'm like, i got to replicate the adventures of crawling around inside the Lost in Space robot. So I did that for a while. My favorite toy of all of these, though, by far, was a 12 to 14-inch plastic version of the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea Sea View submarine. This was cool. It had a rubber band that ran the length of it, and it was a nice, big, heavy rubber band. So you could wind it up, and it was attached to the propeller, and you push a button, and it would shoot through the water. And it really, really did shoot through the water pretty good. And it also could fire torpedoes and missiles, so it was pretty cool. So that was tons of bathtub fun. You know, it had all kinds of bathtub toys like sharks, plastic sharks and manta rays and whales and octopuses. So I'd reenact episodes of Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea with the giant octopus attacking the submarine or the giant whale or... The monster that's going to show up next week on Lost in Space. Yeah, exactly. I love that toy. That was a lot of fun. 
we would go to the beach. I'd take it with me to go swimming and put it out in the water and it'd fly through the water and it was it was just cool as hell. So that was my collection of science fiction toys from my childhood. How about you? What sort of toys did you wind up getting? Not as much. My mother believed that she should only get me educational toys. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So I barely had a G.I. Joe. I had five of them. I didn't have anything that had like character to it. But I did get every single construction toy that was ever made. Which is not bad. There's a lot of really cool construction toys back in the day. Oh, yeah. Tinker Toys, Erector Set. This is Gilbert. No, I don't usually think of it as a toy. The all-new Gilbert Erector Set. It's more like a whole world, I guess. You know what I mean. Color in Erector. New. Shaped parts that give a solid, enclosed 3D look. New. The Powermatic Hoist. The Powermatic Motor. The Control Panel with Forward and Reverse. The Conveyor Belt. New. Plug-in power and the most remarkable advance in Erector sets since Gilbert decided to make them. The fully automatic Powermatic Programmer, which brings exclusive automation to Gilbert Erector sets. The all-new Gilbert Erector sets in these all-new packages, worthy of the precious tools they hold. Legos, the electronic kits, I had all those things. One thing I just remembered with Legos this was in the days when you didn't really have specialized Legos. I built a rocket ship, and I maintained it as a toy for like a year or two. And it was on a scale. The thing was like two feet tall, and it was on a scale of a single, they call it a pip, the single bump, Lego mm -hmm. bump. Right. So that was a person that size. Wow. And this had, I don't know how many levels, but it was not solid at any point. It had interior structures. And it had like this bay full of cars and equipment and stuff for the Lego-sized people. My favorite game to play with that is to take the rocket and throw it down on the ground and have it shatter. <laughs> and then the little people would have to go through the wreckage and salvage what they could wow. and create their little survival village. That's kind of cool. I had Lego-like toys. They were not the official Legos. They were the knockoff brand. I think they were called Army Bricks because they were olive drab. And I used to build forts out of those elaborate forts for my plastic toy soldiers. But I would have been terrified to throw my Legos down on the ground, fearing that I might break them, crack them. I don't know. So that, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool idea. But I don't know if I would have done that. I did lose a few. I don't know if I should say it here, but one summer my brother had the idea of opening up 22 bullets and shotgun shells taking the gunpowder and doing things with it. Oh, we used to do that. Oh, yeah. My dad had a lot of 22 bullets, so I would steal a couple of his 22 bullets. I tried to make a bomb out of my Legos. and Ooh. Well, because you need a pressure vessel for a slow-burning explosive. So all I did was I melted some Legos. This really sounds like an irresponsible parent story, but we were living out in the country at the time. Hey, I lived in a small town, and we were doing it right out in front of our house. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how much direct supervision I had as a child. All the kids in the neighborhood were right out in the street. We already talked previously about how we used to misuse Estes rocket motors. But yes, we also do the same thing as like take a model, like a model plane or a model car or something and fill it full of gunpowder and match heads and try to see if we can get it to blow up. 
Or we'd take the balsa wood airplanes and you put rubber cement on the wings and oh, yeah, set yeah, it yeah. on fire. Yeah, that was, I think everybody did that at one point or another. So what other toys did you get for Christmas that were science fiction-y? Well, what I wanted was the Space 1999 Eagle. Because not only did it come with three action figures, small ones, that fit inside, but all the doors opened, and I think the center section detached. I still remember in the series, the first time they showed that as a little kid, it was like, oh, that's so cool that it's like still a rocket ship. Yeah, yes. I was a little bit older, so I was already a teenager at that point, so I wasn't playing with uh, toys anymore, but that would have been cool anyway. I I remember that and um, how cool that looked. One of the worst Christmases I had, if we may go in that direction. In the catalog days, you would order something, and I think it was literally six to eight weeks for anything. I seem to remember that phrase. So your parents would order you something beginning of November, maybe. There was no time to get a substitution if there was a problem. So at least one of the catalog companies, whichever one my family used, had a policy where if they ran out of something, they would just substitute something close. And one year I wanted a Lionel train set, classic Lionel train set. Like a real train set. Yeah. And my mother ordered it. She was the one who took care of that part of Christmas. Well, they were out of them. And instead they sent a wind-up toy train set that was suitable for like five or six-year-olds. Ooh. I mean, it wasn't even close to being a substitution. Ooh. And I remember that was the Christmas I learned that sometimes you have to just smile and pretend <laughs> that you like the thing you got. That's pretty awful. That'd be like you really, really wanted a G.I. Joe and you got like a baby doll. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, so I have a lot of fond memories of Christmas. I was pretty lucky. We had three Christmases. We would open a couple presents on the 23rd because on Christmas Eve we would always travel to my maternal grandparents and that family and have a Christmas there and get presents for Christmas morning. Then we would immediately drive a short distance to my paternal grandmother, grandparents, and have Christmas there with that family and then open more presents. So it was a three-day present festival. So I did pretty good as a kid. And my maternal grandparents were pretty well off. So I didn't really have a Christmas where I was deprived. I got a lot of stuff every year that made me very happy. So I got pretty good fond memories of it. I don't remember... Like there was one thing that I really, really wanted, like the Red Ryder BB gun that that I didn't get. In preparation for this, I did a Google search of 1960s toys and didn't find anything that was like, oh, boy, if only I would have gotten that. So I I can't complain. My parents did a good job. They kept their science fiction, horror-loving little kid happy every Christmas. A Christmas movie was almost the very first movie I saw in a theater. The Christmas story, you mean? No, just a Christmas movie. Oh, I, so I don't like remember. the first movie you ever saw in a theater was some Christmas movie. Second. Second. It was supposed to be the first. We moved to Whitewater, and the welcome wagon gave us a basket, which included a free ticket to the, the cinema. And I went down there happily to see the Santa Claus movie, whatever it was. And this would have been 1974. So I don't think it was Santa Claus versus the Martians or anything. No, no. I'm trying to think what Santa Claus movie would have come out about that time. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can't think of it. I have no clue. But when I got there, there was a problem. The ticket was good only for a matinee or something, and I can't remember. And I ended up, the first movie I saw in the theater, and I get this title wrong. I did look it up finally, Tarzan and the Lost City of Gold. Oh, I love that movie. Mike Henry, yeah. Yeah. 
Mike Henry Tarzan movies were pretty good. There's like the James Bond influenced yeah. Tarzan movies, which is a pretty cool idea. Other than that, I just remember being in downtown Whitewater Christmas when it's snowing and all the small town stores were open for them late to like seven o'clock and it was dark. All the lights were on and the Christmas decorations were up. And that's like a kind of picture postcard memory I have of, of Christmases as a kid. All right. Well, that's it for our special Christmas episode. To all of you, a blessed season and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. I'm Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Reitze. Keep watching the sky. Hey, this Christmas party is getting a little too quiet. I think it's time we liven it up with my favorite Christmas gift, Mr. Microphone. Hey, what's that? Well, you set the dial on your FM radio and... Testing, testing, testing. These kids are having a fabulous time with Mr. Microphone, the cordless microphone that actually puts your voice on the radio. There are no attaching wires, so you're free to move around. Broadcast over any FM car radio. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. Professional entertainers use Mr. Microphone for rehearsing. It's practical and great fun for the whole family. And they're only $16.88. Mr. Microphone, buy two or three, they really make great Christmas gifts. That's all for today. Pat and I thank you for listening and invite you to come back for the next episode of Unknown Orbits. from Milwaukee.